0: Welcome to deviate women the podcast where we talk to you about deviate women from
1: history mythology literature and contemporaneity and how are you doing today alicia Look, frustrated. Let's just say we've had some technical difficulties. Let's just be honest. Let's just be open with our listeners. We may have had to start this episode seven or eight times. A few and
0: switch providers for who we're digitally (laughs) conferencing each other with. We shan't name any names, but we've switched from one to another. We don't know that that's actually improved things at all, but... Here we are, and this is life in 2020. This is life. You know, we all understand. We've all had weird Zoom meetings. We've all had Teams do some shit or Skype crash while we're (laughs) recording. Whichever conferencing uh, platform is your organisation's platform of choice, I'm sure you've had some troubles.
1: I thought you said you weren't going to name any names, but you named quite a few names. Yeah, but I named all of them, so everyone's complicit. All right, everyone is complicit in this (laughs) shitness that is online meeting. I used the Adobe
0: one for the first time today, so there you go. Blue Jean.
1: Blue Jean? Yes. just met a girl named Blue Jean. (laughs)
0: Really? Anyway, we're not here to talk about
1: conferencing platforms. We're here to talk about Deviant Women, Alicia. We're here to sing Bowie songs. No, we are here to (laughs) talk about Deviant Women, correct, And, and sing Bowie sing Bowie at the same time. No, but like Bowie, today we are going to be talking about one of our favourite things, which is not Bowie, although he is one of our favourite things. Like Bowie. (laughs) No, nothing like Bowie. That was a, look, I was trying to make it all fit together, but it doesn't. No, no. (laughs) Simply what I mean by that is we're going back to one of our favourite times in history. So there is Mm -hmm. a favourite being involved. Oh, okay. Nothing Okay, I thought you Nothing meant maybe actually, like this no. figure
0: was thematically connected to a Bowie song and so I was right, racing anyway. through the catalogue of songs in my head <laughs> trying to figure out, no. like, are we talking about a genie? Are we talking about
1: a hero? A suffragette. Are we talking
0: about yeah. yeah No, we're not. We're not though, are we?
1: No, we're not. No, we're just going to one of our favourite times in history and Lauren, what is one of our favourite times in history? We have a lot but what is one of our key ones? Mm, the, well, there's two but I know which one
0: you're going to. The second one, which is not the one we're talking about today, is the early 20th century, the jazz yep. times. The f- other yep. one is the 19th century, the Victorians,
1: ladies and gentlemen. That's where we're going. Hooray! We're going, to... We're going to the 1800s and Good. we're going to the 1800s in America this time mm. around. Mm-hmm. I say that like we've never done that before, but we've which done that we a have. lot. Not as commonly, but it has been known to occur. It has been known to occur actually quite a lot. So that's where we're going. But we're going to be talking about an industry that, of course, has been around since forever, since a long, long time before. Since the the dawn dawn of time. Does that
0: mean if we're talking about an industry that has existed since the dawn of time, then I'm assuming that we're either talking about carpentry or sex work? (laughs) Ha! Both, no.
1: (laughs) I was joking, carpentry hasn't existed since the dawn of time. (laughs) We're talking about carpentry sex work. (laughs) Yes, we are talking about sex work. That is correct, not carpentry. (laughs) And we're going to be talking about one sex worker in particular called Madeline Blair or Madeline Blair. Not really, because this was a pseudonym Mm. and we still to this day don't actually know her true identity. Truly?
0: Yeah. Wow. Because pseudonyms were pretty common, particularly in the 19th century and 18th century for sex workers. But I mean,
1: actually, do you know many of the Victorian sex workers' names? Because there were some pretty good ones. Oh, there really are some terrific names out there, mm. but there's also like the epithets that people get, like mm-hmm. oh, there was this one woman she was called like squirrel-toothed Annie. Like, ooh, nice. Who gets called squirrel-toothed Annie? Like what I a name. I feel like they
0: are very often though named after like physical features yes. of your person, but and but they're not always of, the what's most that flattering. Name? They're actually usually very – what we would perhaps consider to be unflattering, but I think that if we look at them in a different light, maybe we can call them body positive epithets.
1: That's right. So if you also are squirrel-toothed like Annie – fucking embrace it man embrace it It's self yeah about love. Mm-hmm. so <laughs> anyway yeah we don't know her true identity and so this kind of casts some shadow on the story that we're going to be talking about well, today i was actually
0: just thinking if we don't know her true identity how many details of her life do we know i'm assuming that we only know the persona like we only know details of her life from a certain point
1: So, yes, this is actually the the really interesting thing about her, and this is the reason why I've chosen to look specifically at her story is because pretty much everything we know about her comes from her autobiography. That she obviously Mm. wrote because it's got the word auto in there as a... Correct. And which was published under her pseudonym in 1919. And, look, because of that... It means that we don't actually know anything about what happened to her after she wrote the book, including mm. when she died. So there's a lot of speculation to be had there. And also because we are relying on her autobiography, we're sort of forced to take her whole story really with a grain of salt because, mm. you know, we have to have the knowledge that, of course, she's written it. So yes. it's skewed, obviously, to a particular point of view. And memoirists are notorious liars. That's, that's it. Just, I that's mean. it's neither here nor there that's sometimes true and sometimes not but we don't have any sort of neutral or unbiased documentation Mm. to compare what she says to the reality of her life and even more so this just to throw another spanner in the works we can't even guarantee that she really was a real person who really lived this life right uh huh. Sort of- it could be akin to the
0: memoirs of Fanny Hill. A eh?
1: that's very true. It's actually
0: like just some dirty old man in the 18th century pretending to be a young, lovely, buxom sex worker getting it off with all kinds of men.
1: Yeah, and there are certainly precedents for hoax biographies of sex workers, as you mentioned one example. And there was also another example that came out, not until around about the 1970s, but it was supposedly an autobiography of a woman called Nellie Kimball who was also around in the 1800s. Really? And it only just came out in the 70s? Yeah, and this is the thing. It had a prologue written by... The author who claimed that you know she had told him her story and he'd written it down and then he'd misplaced the manuscript for like mm. 30 years and then he'd mm. come back to publish it so of course we can't help but question the actual authenticity of yep. a lot of these stories that's interesting
0: because there's a whole I mean like a hoax memoirs are a whole sort of Thing, right? Like people yeah. who write real life stories and they tend to be stories that are very shocking or tantalizing. Like, there was mm. that, like, even quite recently. Well, I mean, this is actually probably 10 or so years ago, but there was that online blog of this, like, girl writing out of, I forget now, but it was somewhere where her sexuality was, like, condemned and she was talking about being persecuted. And it turned mm. out that it had just been, like, this dude
1: writing. So, and it's so interesting. Blog. And <laughs> yeah, and so, look, it feels funny to kind of set that up from the very start of today's episode, but, mm. you know, that's just something to bear in mind when we are relying on basically one source. Yeah. But, you know, her story has, well, she as an individual has, you know, been taken very seriously by scholars and, you know, studied quite broadly. This yeah. particular autobiography has been studied quite broadly broadly and analysed quite broadly by scholars who do look at sex work. we also, having set
0: up that, you know, these fake memoirs do exist, of course, we're also not saying that she's a liar or that, you know. No, no, no. It's certainly not implying that there's certain types of people who are more inclined
1: to lie in, you know, these kinds of salacious stories. Yeah, well, I guess that's the reason, though, why we do kind of put that caveat on it because obviously sex sells. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to make up a story... Then why not make up a story yeah. that involves sex? sex but sometimes. you know <laughs> Exactly. But there is certainly out there in the world of scholarship, there is definitely some belief in the legitimacy mm. of Blair's autobiography. Interesting that if there's a lot of scholarship that nobody's been able to trace her though. Well, it's because she uses uh, pseudonyms for everything. So for the other people in her story, for the places of work in her story, it's difficult to correlate a lot of this information because, look, as you would be if you were a sex worker writing your autobiography at the turn of last century, she doesn't want to give away Mm. the real Mm. names of people. She doesn't want to out- particular individuals. So it does make it difficult to correlate. But I'm sure that there's people out there who, if they were to go through the town archives of certain mm-hmm. places, they'd be able to find some way of piecing it all together. I just don't know if anyone's actually done that, and I'm mm. certainly not in a position <laughs> to do that from, not right <laughs> from now. where I yeah. am right, right now. But, look, we're going to talk about Blair's story because regardless of – Those sorts of issues. It is a really interesting one because Blair's intentions in writing her autobiography were very explicit and there was a particular reason for either Blair or whoever this individual actually was Mm. had a real sort of – dominant narrative about sex work at the end of the 19th century and mm. the early 20th century that they wanted to put forward. So, Which is amazing yeah. at the time. Yeah, absolutely. So even if it's difficult to corroborate her story, we're going to talk about it anyway because it's a really, really interesting one to come out from a point of view where really she was responding to, and we will say she because we're going to assume that Blair was a real person and, yeah. you know, we're just going to go with it. She really was trying to address some ideas that came out around sex work at the end of mm. the 19th century and trying to redress some of those sorts of stereotypes around sex work. So much like yep. the episode on Leanne de Pougy at the start of this season, who obviously was also a sex worker in our other favourite period of history, it's also worth bearing in mind that this is just one representation of the life of a sex worker obviously, mm. and mm. it definitely doesn't represent what life was like for all sex workers of Blair's time and place. Her story is infinitely different to the kinds of stories that would be told by many immigrant sex workers or indigenous Mm. sex workers. You know, her experiences would be very, very different to those particular individuals. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get deeper into Blair's story, because it does have some bearing on her story as we go along to sort of think about those differences in class, those differences in race, and how they play into the story of sex work. Yeah,
0: because if Blair's story is rare enough, having this actual first person account and not being written off of or about, as so often Mm, happens in these mm -hmm. cases, she's the exception. She's still speaking from that, you know, in what little privileged position she does have. There are still thousands and thousands of voices that don't even have that at all. Yeah,
1: precisely. And that's what makes this autobiography such an interesting one to think about because there are, from this period of history practically not really any first person accounts of sex work Mm. to refer back to so that's why we're going to have a think about it and talk about it today so let us begin shall we at Mm. the beginning now take us i shall but the problem is is that blair is also very hazy on her dates so Mm -hmm. we don't know exactly where to start other than the fact that she tells us that it was a few years after the close of the civil war that her parents Moved from their birthplace near the Atlantic seaboard to settle in a thriving town in the Middle West. Okay, a thriving town in the Middle West. (laughs) That's right. Some (laughs) years after the close of the Civil War. So specific. Detail, I like (laughs) it.
0: Excellent. Exactly. Painting a picture already.
1: Yeah. So this basically means she was born roughly any time in the late. 1860s or (laughs) thereabouts, we'll sort of just assume if we're talking about after the Civil War, but certainly born into the latter part of the 1800s. And she was the second of many children, and she grew up in a well to do enough household, so much so her family had a cook and a laundress. So this sort of speaks to their class, obviously, Mm. and they certainly weren't among the lower classes. And her father was a fairly well respected businessman. She had a decent education and she tells us that she had a love for reading and for the sound of words from the very beginning. And her family was also rather religious, so she also had a quite a good Christian upbringing as well. Mm-hmm. So, so things seem like they're off to a good start somewhere in the <laughs> Middle West of America at <laughs> some, some time point. In the latter half of the 19th century. That's right, yep. But things didn't remain stable in Blair's childhood home, How often have
0: we said that sentence on this <laughs> podcast?
1: <laughs> Never before. It's uncommon <laughs> that this should happen. But sadly, unbeknownst to Blair as a child, her father was slowly falling victim to the vice of alcoholism. Oof. Da, da, da. And as Blair grew into a teenage girl, it, this sort of became more apparent to her and it eventually sort of worsened to the point where she became somewhat of a target for his drunken aggression, oh, no. which is obviously quite horrific. So she tells us that he never hit her mother or any of the other children, but for whatever reason, she sort of became the target of his drunken oh, violence. Okay. So she puts this down to an incident where her father found her playing with the son of the laundress who worked for them. And so this was the first time that he ever hit her. So perhaps it was kind of this sense of her father being enraged by her mixing with the lower classes yeah, and that that sort of became some kind of impetus to the future beatings, you know. Do we know if there was a racial element to this as well? not to this particular story that she Mm. mentions because she does actually come back to this laundress later so for all accounts and purposes they were also a white family okay so it's really much more just a sense of status and class yeah 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 Yeah.
0: but still i suppose once she's become the victim for one thing Mm. i suppose it's easier to just oh i've already hit her i may as well
1: Yes, exactly. That's awful, but you know what I mean. Well, of course it is. But it's also like I've already seen how she responds to it and I know I can do it again, I suppose, is this kind of idea behind it. But also I suppose fortunately for her – During this time, he'd often go away, sort of simply disappearing and leaving the family behind. Oh. He'd disappear for periods of time, basically kind of just disappearing on drunken benders, essentially. Yeah, okay. He'd occasionally send letters back to them if he was gone for a really long amount of time, so they sort of knew he was alive. (laughs) Okay. And then when he'd sort of return... It'd be back to the same old thing again. Yeah. And this went on for quite some time. But as I said, she did have a large family. And so eventually her brothers sort of became old enough to seek out work and they attempted to sort of earn enough to replace their absent father's income. But eventually he really had dribbled away all of the family's money and he'd fallen very, very far from grace in sort of, I guess, the eyes of the local society. Yeah, because that's really the problem, isn't it? It's not just,
0: especially then when the man of the house is the one who, it's not just the breadwinner but has the authority to spend mm. all of the money of the house if he's choosing to disappear for fuck knows mm. how long at a time and spend all of the family's money on alcohol then it's not just an issue of that missing wage it's not just an issue of mm. him mm-hmm. not being there it's like everything is happening all at once yeah. that is actually also not particularly uncommon men used to just fucking disappear and reappear and expect that everything would just go back to normal when they got back
1: yeah, and that their jobs would be waiting for them yeah. and that the money would be still there. But, of course, he lost his job, he lost his respectability and eventually they had to sell their house and move to another place far less respectable part of the city Mm. and this was where Blair had her first introduction to the profession of sex work because where they moved to there were many many brothels in the area and sort of she tells us lacking any other real friends she very much Mm -hmm. fell in with these women and sort of began to strike up some friendships with some of these women as well a lot of them took a liking to her and she'd spend sort of time with them but also some of the women thought she was quite haughty and stuck up because <laughs> she spoke in quite a refined, educated yeah. sort of manner. She'd come from that originally and yeah. having sort of fallen so far she didn't manage to make friends with everyone and these are not the girls who are
0: working in the high-end establishments i imagine these are the girls who are like you said in those kinds
1: of neighborhood brothels that's right yeah so the longer that that she lived here and the older that she got the more she began to sort of fall of course under the gaze of the many men who visited the Mm parts some of those men who had obviously formerly been her father's friends as well so that's delightful Mm
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. so now paying a lot of attention to the developing blair it's
0: again not uncommon you hear these old men who are like courting the daughters of their friends who they've known since they were children and some of them marry them a lot of them marry them too many of them marry them anyway so she was edging towards 17
1: and she herself was the edge of (laughs) seventeen. so appropriate And she, of course, is getting a bit curious about the ways of the world because, you know, having been around these wanton women, these soiled doves, so many (laughs) many terrific terms as well (laughs) at at this point in history (laughs) for sex workers. And we should
0: say this is the language of the time. Of course, yes, like, of course. Like, they, but, like, they really, truly did have some great terminology. Actually, I just want to give a little plug to the Twitter account, Whores of Yore, which if you don't ah. already follow is a delight because it's run by a sex worker historian and she publishes all the time all of these old, ye olde, English words for various, various sexy things and it's so great. Good. So It's good. wonderful. Well,
1: there were a lot of fantastic terms. And, of course, we say fantastic in a, you know, we love it. But soil Dove is not particularly bad sounding, really. No. Know, could be worse. Could be worse. There are many anyway. worse terms. <laughs> but essentially a soiled dove is a pigeon. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and pigeons are your favourite of all birds. And I love pigeons. Pigeons are my favourite bird. <laughs> anyway, moving on. As we said, she was getting curious about the ways of the world and she tells us that she lost the battle against her moral upbringing. Uh-huh. I'm going to assume that this is her slippery,
0: slippery sliding into the non-virginal state of being. Correct.
1: Yes, she lost her battle against her moral upbringing and she lost her virginity sometime she around her She lost battle against her virginity. She did. What a battle that is. <laughs> now, she's not very specific, of course, and she doesn't actually tell us whether or not this particular encounter was for money mm. or if it was for pleasure at this stage. Or curiosity, perhaps. So, yeah, simply curiosity. We don't know. She d- Sometimes she gives us a lot of detail and sometimes she doesn't give mm. us much detail at all. Maybe she was just feeling herself. You know? know? You reckon? that You'll do. Maybe. Yeah. I'm
0: going to yeah. pop this cherry
1: at some point. Why yeah, not now? May. Why not now? Give it a shot. <laughs> so around this same time. The family received an invitation from the former laundress who had served them previously, Mm -hmm. who was now living in St. Louis and who had always had a soft spot for the young Blair. And she sent word that she'd be willing to help Blair find factory work in St. Louis if she wanted to come along. She knew about the family's fall from grace, essentially.
0: Factory work.
1: Mm. yeah yeah. a big fall from grace but you know it was better than nothing so Blair was very happy to go and you know she hoped that she might start a new life for herself there and sort of lessen the burden on her mother as well and on her family
0: but then did she realize that factory work in the late 1800s meant 13 hour days of backbreaking labor with maybe a bit of
1: porridge and bread Well, she actually didn't hate the factory work, to tell you the truth, when she arrived into St. Louis. She did turn up and was taken under the wing of the former laundress and her family, the Jameses. And she was employed into the factory work, as promised, and, she, yeah, she actually didn't mind it terribly much. Okay, that's good. Yeah, which is good. But after a few months, her health took a turn, and it seems like this was not destined to improve. So they sent for a doctor... And it turned out, Lauren. Uh-oh. What did it turn out, Lauren?
0: You? she shall. have the clap? Nah. She was. she have the syphilis? She was up. She, was she
1: consumptive? She was, she was pregnant. She was up the dust. Yes. Thank you. That took a long time. I went to STDs first. She was pregnant yes now mrs james is very good about this and she was happy to help blair conceal the condition really yeah but blair was mortified and she decided instead that she was going to run away she didn't want to be a burden Mm. on anyone i bet that must have happened in those
0: factories all the time is this going to be like our dear fontaine who finds herself on the street With nothing.
1: Don't. But actually, I
0: imagine that in a factory full of girls who are often down on their luck financially, it probably wasn't uncommon at all for the factory mistress to have to help them sort of cover up a little. uh, A
1: little accident or two. No, no, this was from her actually losing her virginity. This was the pregnancy Mm. that was the result of that before she'd even moved to live with the Jameses. So this actually... Yeah, yeah, yeah. This had come from that first foray into her moral sort of degradation.
0: Yeah, but still, I mean, like it only takes one time.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's what they tell you at school, isn't it? (laughs) That is. That is. When they give you your banana and your condom, and <laughs> you put it on way too fast. And the teacher looks at you with suspicion in their eye, and is like, <laughs> "You seem to." I don't know. I went to a Catholic school, so we didn't get quite that far, <laughs> oh, really. Yeah, the teacher is
0: like, "You seem we to." We did get taught to double Dutch, which I don't think is the Catholic way. What? Okay. Anyway, yeah. let's let's leave that where that lies. That's using a condom and the
1: contraceptive pill, yeah. by the way. Double if, in case just you in case double you to see what Dutching is. (laughs) Anyway, she definitely didn't do that. So she... No double (laughs) touching. No double touching. No way. But she decided, as I said, that it was just all a bit too much and she was going to get out of there. Now, of course, she had very little money, a little bit, that she'd saved from her factory work, but she had essentially nowhere to go. Mm. And this resulted in her first foray into actual sex work because she So this
0: is to support
1: herself now that she's having a child. Well, this is basically just to get her off the streets. So, yeah. this is all happening within just a period of a few days of her finding out that she's pregnant. Uh, she's <sighs> run away, she's on the streets. She wants to get off the streets. Mm. And so she spends her first night with a customer.
0: But Do you know what? Nothing breaks my heart like this story. Like because this story is so common it is and i remember like these types of stories have affected me for a very long time to the point where i kind of wonder if you know if i was to believe in reincarnation i'd be like i feel like very deeply attached to this story because it's the saddest to me it's not the saddest obviously there's many 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 very 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 sad things in the world but this is one of those very very sad things where it's like This is kind of the epitome of being a victim of patriarchy, isn't it? It's like some Mm -hmm. guy's taken – well, we don't know. Maybe she lost her virginity because of her own sexual desire or curiosity, in which case good Mm -hmm. for her. But if she didn't, well, I mean, the guy obviously probably enjoyed himself as well. So often is the case that you're a victim of male sexual advances. Then you end up in this position where you are demonised for somebody else's vice – and your life turns to trash. And I just feel that these well, they were rejected by their communities, rejected by their families, mm. with nowhere to go in an utterly, utterly vulnerable position. Yeah. It's
1: heartbreaking. And just to make it more heartbreaking for you, Lauren, I'm sorry. In the morning, when she asked to be paid, he refused. Of course and left he her did. High and dry. Of course he did. Of course because he fucking did. That's just adding the insult to injury, isn't it? So she returned again to the streets and she tells us that very shortly afterwards she is propositioned by an African-American man who she vehemently refused. Now, of course, segregation was still the norm And Mm. even in sex work, there was a line between who would service people of colour and who would not. Mm. And as a white sex worker, you were considered very, very lowly if you accepted black patronage, Mm -hmm. essentially. And so she refused outright and she was becoming quite agitated by his advances when she tells us another man a white man obviously intervened at this point to see if she needed help and of course being as he was white she was happy to accept his help immediately Uh of course because this is the period of history Uh that we're functioning yeah obviously so she happily went with him happily 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 well as happily as she could but this she sort of worked him. out for her because she ended up staying with him for the next few days while he paid for her lodgings and food up until he was to leave for business in Kansas City. And she decided that it was her time to get out of St. Louis and so she went with him to Kansas City.
0: Mm. Now,
1: soon after arrival in Kansas City, she discovered that he had given her more than just food and lodgings, he'd also given her... Venereal disease. Ah, uh, there's the STD. I mean, I knew there's it was coming the eventually. Did there it is. Which coming? one? Which disease did she well, get? Well, she doesn't specify. Oh, Again, she mysterious give us... woman. Exactly. Who knows? And maybe that's the best. <laughs> but she did end up in hospital. So it was a venereal disease that was bad enough to oh, put her no. into hospital to recover. Ooh. And of course, the uh, chap that had given it to her gave us some money and told it off away. Because mm. that's what you do. That's what they do. That's what but they do. while she was recovering in hospital, she met a woman who was also in hospital recovering from a venereal disease. Mm. And her name was Mammy and she was a full-time sex worker. And it was Mammy who suggested that Blair should get herself off the streets and look for some work in a proper house of ill repute, mm. which is another terrific term. House of a Ill proper repute. house
0: of ill repute. Exactly. With
1: the red light outside the door. Correct. And Mammy suggested that she should come and work with her at a place called Miss Laura's. So Mm -hmm. it was here at Miss Laura's that Blair was baptised with her new name of Madeline Blair. Okay, I thought you were going to say baptised with something else. And I was like,
0: ooh, what kind of like (laughs) sex worker initiation ritual do you get when you enter Miss Laura's? You get a new name.
1: And so as I've mentioned, we don't know what her real name was up until this point, but this is where she takes on Mm. the name of Blair. So now also during this time, she had been sending letters back to both her mother and to Mrs. James, sort of, you know, reassuring them that everything was fine. Do they know she's pregnant? No. Mm. Well, Mrs James knows and Mrs James is, you know, happy to keep her secret for her, but her mother and her extended family back home don't know. And, you know, despite her sort of growing pregnancy, Blair gets to work at Miss Laura's and she begins to learn the trade of working in a proper Brothel establishment. Now, fortunately for her, Miss Laura, who was the madam, treated her girls rather well, which wasn't always the case, of course. No. Brothels at this time were, by and large, run by women who were former sex workers themselves mm. and it wasn't until closer to the turn of the century that sort of men as is the fashion saw a lot of money in it and began to take yeah. over the businesses because these
0: women were like entrepreneurial wizards and making fuck loads Absolutely. of money yeah and yeah. they're like oh well, we can get in on that
1: yeah precisely. we want that money but even with women as the bosses running these establishments it didn't mean that the girls had it Easy. It didn't mean that you know. No, like a Madam's lot of them were
0: terribly exploitative. Exactly. Oh, absolutely.
1: And it, it
0: kept many of them in kind of indentured servitude situations mm-hmm. where they mm-hmm. would upfront the cost of, oh, you need a new wardrobe and you need a new furniture for your bedroom. And mm-hmm. so I will front you the cost of all of this stuff. And of course, it's more money than any of these girls could hope to earn in years exactly. and then of course they oh yes this is your commission but also i'm taking your rent and your mm-hmm. food and your yep. i don't know various other expenses yeah
1: your laundry was another one yeah yep. so and i mean this is right because these were business women like madams were business women so they ran their brothels like a business which meant you know they charged each girl for board and laundry mm-hmm. and food and you know as you said at inflated prices and women would quickly become indebted if they couldn't keep up with mm. those costs, and they had expensive overheads. Of course, you know, like very expensive. The dresses yeah. that they wore were one of those very, very yeah. expensive costs. And sometimes madams would confiscate clothing if women couldn't pay. And there was even mm. a court case in which eight sex workers sued one particular madam for taking their clothes, and the girls actually won. <laughs> they won the court case. Oh, against hooray!
0: The madam, <laughs> which was I would love to write that. In a story, but have them protest in some, you know, really explicit manner, you know, <laughs> to make a point. She's taken our clothes. What will you have us do? And we then they must just
1: show up at the courthouse naked. No, Correct. Right ride through the streets of the town naked. But that yeah. also brings us to thinking about the legalities of sex work at the time, of course, because. Technically, it was mm-hmm. illegal, but much like gambling, it was a vice that the most law enforcement would just very happily ignore. Yeah. And of course Depends for many... Depends who it's serving, doesn't it? That's right. And of course for many law enforcers, the fines that they sort of intermittently levelled against brothels and madams was basically a part of the wage that they relied on. And so to put those brothels out of business would kind of be putting themselves out of business.
0: And you know what, Alicia? There is a reason why sex work remains illegal in many places to this day. And I'm not naming any names or putting any fingers, but it has a little bit to do with maybe something along those very lines. Let's yes. just say. Correct. <sighs> ah, here's where we all breathe out very frustratedly. Yes,
1: we find that history does not, like, things don't change much, really. We're the same yeah. old species we always were. Why would we legalise it when we can raid it and charge them fines yeah, periodically? Exactly. Why would we legalise it when that would actually just give them more protections? Like, yeah, why would we want to and do make anyone? everybody's lives easy? So, with all hmm. of that in mind, Miss Laura's as an establishment was about as comfortable a welcome to the trade as Blair could have had because Mm. as i said miss laura was actually quite a nice sort of madam i suppose and the other women working there were also mostly very friendly with blair i like to think of them as being sisterhoods yeah well sometimes they were but of course sometimes they were definitively not you could (laughs) very much get the opposite of that going on in a brothel so i mean it was kind of like yeah i guess it would be having a a real sister yeah, a bit of a Russian ruler as to whether you'd <laughs> end up somewhere where there was constant competition and fighting mm-hmm. and or mm-hmm. if you'd end up somewhere where it was a bit of a supportive sort of space. And for Blair, Miss Laura's was that supportive space. And it was also here that she met a man named Paul Martin who would sort of go on to become a long-time sort of lover and companion throughout her life. And he came along to the brothels even though he detested prostitution because he thought oh. it was a necessary evil so i guess a he necessary evil didn't detest it that much if he was
0: <laughs> coming back and for And you know it. what the like the fucking moral logic of that is it's these dudes who are like oh well i would never subject my wife <laughs> to the yeah. depraved filth that exists in my brain and so i'm going to pay another woman Exactly i'm going to do it to somebody else not to sex shame those dudes because whatever your kink is, that's fine. That's more of a, like, a comment on the fact that they thought that their wives were these, like, precious moral flowers that they couldn't possibly, you degrade. know. Degrade.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And so there's a particular type of woman that you're allowed to degrade
1: and that's yeah. sex workers. Precisely. Exactly. This is the moral logic. And I was going to say it's the moral logic of the time, but it's still the moral logic today. Like, that moral logic hasn't changed a hell of no. a lot.
0: Yeah. But, well... Kind of. I so, mean, well, in some, yeah,
1: in some regards. Couples are certainly. far more kinky with each other than they used to be. Yeah, but sex workers are still degraded in the same. Oh, of course. Of course. To the same degree in a lot of places. Of course. Mm. Sometime after beginning work at Miss Laura's, the inevitable happened, which was her pregnancy began to show. Uh, unfortunately. And also she was revisited by a flare-up of the unnamed venereal disease that she oh contracted only a few short months ago. But she remained in the brothel for as long as she could with the support of the other women and Miss Lauren. She worked for as long as she could get away with it. And eventually she gave birth to a baby girl. But sadly, Uh-oh. the baby died the baby did not survive of course it did yeah now after this blair decided that she wanted to get out she needed a change of scene so she moved to chicago Shortly after her eighteenth birthday. Because we've got to remember she's still only Oh fuck, very, I very forgot young. she's only seventeen. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. And she decided to sort of clean up her lifestyle. So she got herself a respectable job working in a department store. Oh, la di da. Yeah, I know, very respectable. <laughs> she continued to keep in contact with Paul as well as her family. And this was how she learned that her father had ended up in prison and the rest of her of family. Course he did. Yeah, was essentially now living in poverty with the threat of being sent to the workhouse hanging over Mm -hmm. them. So, of course, Blair, knowing that she could probably make a bit more money going back to the trade, that she'd only just left, quit her job at the department store (sighs) and found employment at a new brothel in Chicago called the Custom House Place. But This establishment was a little too low class for her, by which I mean that it was populated mainly by immigrant women workers, so women from the working classes. And of course, Blair, as we know, already didn't necessarily mix terrifically. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say,
0: I was like, oh. Yeah, I feel like she doesn't like this very much because no. she's not
1: a very woke woman. No, and also they did not like her very much at all. Oh, because so she, she would have been too hoity-toity with her department hoity. store job and her her hoity-toity upbringing. Yeah, and I mean, because she is writing an autobiography, right? So she is yeah. a very literate woman.
0: So yeah. you and know,
1: reading, and she tells us that and you a know, nice addresses. That's right. And she tells us that often women kind of respond to the way she speaks, like they don't even like the yeah. way that she speaks because she speaks in a very sort of, yeah, hoity-toity fashion, I suppose. Mm. So she only remained at this particular brothel for a few weeks before she moved to another establishment on Dearborn Street. Now this was sort of Chicago's red light district. It was close to the wharves, of course, where you had a huge array of entertainment for the wharfies including, you know, theatres and dance halls and, of course, brothels. And the brothels in this region ranged from, you know, the kind of places that – like the custom house place that she had just come from as well as places like the Everly Club, which was a notoriously expensive brothel. There was also a brothel which was run by a Madame Emma Duval called French M's and it was the first – fancy. Yeah, it was the first brothel to have all mirrored bedrooms –
0: in Whoa, the early ni- kinky.
1: Very nice. But we don't know particularly which one she worked in because she doesn't specify, again, for us. She gives yeah. us these names, but we don't know if we can apply them to real places. She's just
0: like, I was there, I know what I'm talking about.
1: That's right. i yeah. not to give you any more details on this. That's correct. But it was most likely not at the Everly Club or French M's or another one of the famous Chicago brothels called The Mansion. But she refers to the madam of this particular house that she goes into as Miss Allen. And the women here were sort of closer in class and upbringing to Blair, which meant that the clientele was also slightly higher in Mm. calibre, I suppose. And Blair was able to really make good money here, sending a lot of it back home to support her mother and family. But Lauren, it only took a few more months before she discovered that she had again... (sighs) fallen pregnant pregnant the bane of the sex worker falling pregnant they have methods for
0: this did nobody teach her sure but they're not foolproof
1: no like, that's true they're that's definitively true. not foolproof <laughs> and she, so she decided at this point look she'd had enough and she wanted to go home and see her mother so she left and she went home to stay with her family for a few weeks her father was now out of prison and he had actually become relatively sober well prison might do that to you exactly so this kind of you know this looked sort of promising except that yeah. in his sobriety he'd also become quite suspicious of where his daughter had been all this time and <laughs> she'd been up to
0: and so, how she'd been making her
1: money and exactly. why mm-hmm. why do your breasts look
0: much larger than me well, <laughs> yeah. when i saw you last your hips so, too are wider you
1: mm, interesting you've suddenly become a woman And he made some inquiries and he discovered that she had been working as a lady of the night, Uh, which of course... Wrenched Good the Christian family. family apart. Mm-hmm. Well, more than his
0: alcoholism oh, yeah. and his destroying the family name, alcoholism and is away all of their money. That's forgivable,
1: but it's a decent ha- man's vice. That's correct. But she was disowned, which is really quite sad. And also, she had been sending
0: money home mm-hmm. to them because he
1: was a fuck. <laughs> I liked all of the um, emphasis there. (laughs) So much emphasis. Yeah. Well, this is true. But, of course, you know, what she was doing was completely morally degraded, much more so than being an alcoholic. So Who abandons and ruins his family. Yeah. So she was cut free. And so she returned to Chicago deeply depressed. And she soon gave birth to a son. And this actually (sighs) did reinvigorate her. She really fell into motherhood. And she reconnected with Paul, who was happy to sort of, even though there was zero proof that the son was Paul's, Mm. he was happy to sort of help support her financially, occasionally sending money to her when she was short of it. But as soon as she was able, she basically went back to work at Dearborn Street and she remained there for the next few years. So despite this sort of help from Paul, and, you know, life as a sex worker with a child can get pretty expensive and difficult. Yeah, that would be very hectic. I mean,
0: it's I not don't think they have paid childcare
1: facilities no, at
0: your average brothel. Do not. Actually, maybe they do Is that the type of thing where, like, you know, all the women, again, if you're in a sisterhood brothel, then maybe everybody just, like, takes care of each other's kids and shifts. You shouldn't be the only one there.
1: Maybe the in a sisterhood brothel, yeah. But this wasn't sort of the case for her. I suppose, yeah, I suppose there's probably examples where that would definitely be what happened. Mm. But for her it wasn't and it basically meant that she had to make some hard decisions about how she could financially support her new family. And as so often was the case, this actually meant leaving him behind with a nurse while she went to pursue better work elsewhere. And she had heard that life was cheaper and the money was better for sex workers over the border in Canada. Eh? Ah. I'm sorry, I don't know why I said that. Everyone in Canada just went, "Fuck you." <laughs> so they
0: why did switched you switched off? They just went, why did
1: Why did why have you have you done to do this, that? Alicia? Why do you hate our Canadian <laughs> listeners that much? Why did you feel like you had to say that? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I just did. So she went to Winnipeg leaving her son behind and getting a job with a madam that she refers to as Madden von Levin. Mm. And this is a really different experience for Blair because Madame von Levin's was on the outskirts of the city itself with an outlook onto the prairies and it was mm. sort of surrounded by nature and by a stream. She's out of the big city. She's out of the big city. So for a woman who's basically been in cities all her life, this is a revelation. And mm. she actually comes to really... Enjoy working here. Yeah, well, nature's great. Exactly. So she tells us that you know she spends her days walking in the fields and exploring, and then comes back you know to work Aww, in the evening. Oh, picturesque! And she does, yeah, exactly. She it's paints this sort pastoral of pastoral dream, idyllic time, despite the yeah. sex work that she's also doing. Oh,
0: there's no reason why sex work can't be a part of your pastoral dream.
1: Well, this is the thing because she actually writes that she really found Canadian men to be much more civil and courteous than their American counterparts. There you go. (laughs) No comment. (laughs) And she really much prefers the patronage (laughs) of Canadian men to American men. So actually a much more idyllic time. It's just
0: a shame that she had to leave her son behind. Well, that's It could have been a perfect life.
1: Well, she she spends a lot of time here quite happily, but, of course, she does miss her son. So mm. after saving up quite a lot of cash, she decides it's time to return to Chicago to get her son. Now, back in Chicago, she rents her own flat and she begins sort of juggling the work of raising her son and sex work to stay alive. But she doesn't like bringing customers back to her house, so she soon looks again for work in an establishment. And she finds this time a brothel on the south side of the city and this brothel was made up of fairly well-to-do women, including married women who sort of oh. worked on the side. Oh. Yeah. and <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Or who were basically having hookups on the side as well. Wow. And students. Go there. Good for them. Yeah. And also students from the Conservatory of Music and the Art Institute <gasps> that were nearby.
0: <laughs> so. Nice.
1: This is much more her crowd, really. Yeah,
0: totally. Oh, they're sort of in a fun brothel. Yeah. Not to say anything less about the other brothels, but just like, I can imagine a bunch of like the type of women who were there just for a lark, really, isn't it?
1: It is, because this is the thing, right? There obviously, there are very many different levels of sex work. And when we talk about her story, as I said at the start of the story, her, her version of sex work, much again like Leanne de Pugy, is one very sort of privileged class of, of sex work. Absolutely. Know? And she does go through, sh- you know, she goes through shit. She's had some pretty bad times. It's not all smooth sailing. But it is certainly more of a palatable version of mm. sex work. It's more mm. that kind of romanticised or glorified sex work that you see reflected back in sort of the grandeur and the opulence of these very Victorian parlour houses. And this is the world that she's in. She's not on the streets like so many other girls were. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she had seen this firsthand. She had seen the life of girls on the streets. So she did know that she had it a lot better than a lot of other girls out there did. So really, yeah, she's landed herself in one of the best places she possibly could have. Mm. And after she'd been working there a while, even better, a long-standing customer decided that he wanted to take her out of the house and make her exclusively his mistress, mistresshood of oh, the dream. Exactly. and this is the dream, right? So, despite, of course, the fact that he was quite old and she didn't re- wasn't really all that attracted to him or whatever, no, who, who gives a shit? It's like a professional accomplishment.
0: Yes, That's where you aspire to end up you, you eventually become promoted to mistress, right?
1: Yeah. And she, <laughs> you know, she says as well that there were so many women who had sold themselves out into marriage, same way she sold herself out into sex work, yeah. but for some reason that was considered more respectable than what she was doing. But she couldn't oh see, she couldn't see the difference in it, of course. Oh my god. Yes, precisely. The fact yes. that
0: pre basically 19 fucking 60s, 70s, I don't know, before women's second wave of women's liberation, (laughs) like that, we even had this notion of the fact that the sex within marriage was not an economic decision. Yeah,
1: or an economic exchange.
0: Yes, exactly. Women have been exchanging sex for security and money Mm -hmm. and a roof over their heads forever. And it's just that one way that they do that is acceptable and the other way that they do that
1: is not acceptable. But it's the same thing. Yeah. And Blair was very much aware of this. So the idea of her getting out of the brothel and living exclusively Mm. as a mistress, this to her was a business decision and it was a good business decision. So she readily consented. Yeah. But the madam was not happy because well, no because it's no longer her income that's right because a she's losing one of her girls yeah but b before blair came this particular customer was one of the brothel's best customers mm. so she didn't also didn't like much the idea of losing his patronage yeah. so in order to put him off the madam confided to him that blair had previously been a common public whore working oh. whore who wor- working in a much lesser establishment, and worse still, she had a son. And, of course, as you can <laughs> imagine, he broke It's the also arbitrary,
0: isn't it? Like, it's also fucking arbitrary. You yeah. know that this woman is selling sex for money. The degree of money yeah. to which she sells sex and the consequences of that sex are...
1: Ah! It's infuriating. It is infuriating. But of course, it definitively meant the world to this man to, to mm-hmm. know that difference between thinking that he had found himself some kind of jewel, you know, among a, some a, good, whore. a yeah, good whore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no, she has a son and she's been working in common public houses. Well, ja, 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 ja. it was off. It was off the cards. Tell him so, some working
0: class man's
1: penis has been anywhere near her. Don't want to think about that. Rich man dick only. So of course, she and the madam had a massive falling out. <laughs> and she, of course, had to leave that particular establishment. So she decided that maybe it was time to take a little break from the life and to focus on raising her son. But Lauren, 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 Lauren! Yeah. Lauren But what? It wasn't long. It wasn't to last.
0: It was long. because she soon discovered that she was pregnant. Ah, fuck yes, with a venereal disease. Uh, Pregnant,
1: uh, just pregnant. pregnant. Yeah, yeah. So she was not enough lemon squeezing. She was deeply unsure about whether or not she wanted to keep this particular child. And also added to this, soon she had even bigger problems to think about because her son, who she loved very, very much, fell ill with pneumonia and sadly he died. He didn't survive. So about... A month after his death, she decided that was it. She didn't want it and she wanted to end her pregnancy. She was too distraught about the loss of her son mm. and she just didn't want to go through all of through that, that again. all over again. Mm. So she performed a home abortion, of course. On herself? On herself. And as oh. they tended to do, it went very badly oh, and no. she ended up rushed to hospital. For a while there, the doctors didn't think she was going to survive, but she did recover and she pulled through and she did manage to survive. And when she was recovered, she was told by the doctor in sort of quite, as you can imagine, it's not like they were being nice to her about it, basically Mm. told that if she hadn't have interfered with nature, then she would have been having twins. So as though it was somehow doubly bad that she should do yeah. something so horrific to herself. Kind of rubbing Which, it in her face or something. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Get fucked, obviously. Yeah. Clearly obviously. is how we feel about that. It's the correct so, Yeah. Well, and the thing was is like she wanted her son back. Mm. That's who she mm. wanted. She didn't want replacement children. She didn't want – that's not yeah. what it was – like it was just, it's just ridiculous. It's not what this so, is about. Yeah. So she was sick in hospital for quite some time and then after she recovered she decided – That she would need to go back to work and this time she decided to go back to Miss Allen's where she had been quite happy at the very sort of beginning of her career. And at this point she was only 22 years old as well. Oh, shit, all of this has happened to her by 22. So quite the life. Now, she stayed at Miss Allen's for a while until she was reunited again with Paul. And Paul. The, good old Paul. And the two spent some time living together in a small mining town where Blair passed for a schoolteacher and for a while sort of enjoyed some air of respectability because nobody knew about her past and yep. nobody assumed that she had a past, so... That's the thing about the 19th century. It's so easy to reinvent yourself. Just move two towns over and suddenly you're a stranger again. Nobody knows. Start a new Instagram account. Nobody will yeah. even know you're the same person. Just refresh. Yeah. But at this point, she also found a new vice if sex work wasn't oh, enough. No. She was introduced to gambling. Oh, the, oh, okay. The other major you, sin mm. of the era, of course. And she quickly became addicted. And this drove her and Paul apart because he couldn't bear to try and support her while she Mm -hmm. just gambled everything away. The money away, yeah. And she tells us then that after Paul sort of leaves her, she spends the next three or four years wandering the face of the earth. Oh, and she's really vague about this. She suggests <laughs> it's interesting the things she's vague about and the things that she's specific about. She suggests that she spends time travelling overseas in Europe and Asia. What? Um, and she chose yeah. this is what she's gonna be vague about.
0: Oh Ned, I got a, on a steamer. I, it's fine. I was Don't there for about months,
1: whatever. Don't ask me the details. Don't ask me to be specific. Yeah. Um, so she doesn't give away any of these specifics except to say that by the end of her warring, wanderings she'd finally kicked her gambling habit and she found herself back in Canada again. So she decided now it was time for her to set up her own bawdy house and she found an oh. eight-room house in a town called Edmonton. I say that like Edmonton's town. that It's still there. It's a real town. Actually, you're relatively well-known. It's a <laughs> big on, place i believe it <laughs> yeah i <laughs> yeah, said that Landmark like no one, kind of place yeah said that like no one had heard of it little town no one's ever heard of called edmonton edmonton mm. but of course it was a smaller town at this time mm. and it was also a place where the police were of course perfectly happy to ignore a brothel as long as it stayed discreet and yeah. she was happy to do that and she was wildly successful so she turned to the life of a madam she had enough experience by now to know how to run a good business and, and I remember that she was a nice madam and not and an she exploitative was. slave driver madam. Well, she was known to be quite the disciplinarian in the fact that she wanted her girls to... She's got to run a tight ship. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But she but. was also a very sort of kind and caring madam at the same yeah. time. And also interestingly here as well, in her own establishment, she had a real mix of lower and upper class customers. She that actually interesting. catered. She was happy to cater to the lower classes mm. despite her sort of own upper-class leanings. But what this meant was that the house had separate parlour rooms to receive the sort of, of different stations did. of men yes. so that they wouldn't have to mix together unless it was, a you know, a really terribly busy night and there wasn't enough room and you had to stick some, you know, poor lower class man <laughs> in with the upper classes or whatever no,
0: it would be just like it would, you'd feel so uncomfortable actually It'd be, you'd
1: be like oh my god i don't know
0: what to do or terribly
1: but also you know these are the sorts of places where the women <laughs> encourage the men to drink as much as possible because you know mm-hmm. alcohol was another huge way of making a lot of money and the drunker you got these guys that's, the more money yeah, you yeah exactly out of them. that's how you loosen your fingers upon that wallet Precisely. Make them slippery with alcohol and they'll slide all those bills your way. And she was incredibly successful at that. So successful that eventually she was able to hire herself a pianist to play in the oh, parlor rooms and very keep the, fancy, keep everyone entertained and a cook. And she was also able to add on a renovation of extra rooms. Oh. To her house. This is how successful Great. she was. But she didn't even need to get a grant or anything. No, she wouldn't even have to go through the fucking council and do a fucking <laughs> stormwater <laughs> slash sewage fucking thing, which, anyway, never mind. Someone s- doing renovations. <laughs> some, some of us may have those problems going on at the moment, but she did not. But, Lauren, the good times couldn't last. Of course they didn't. She wasn't pregnant. Let me just say she wasn't pregnant. All right. No. Was a venereal disease flare up? No. This was a point in history because we're getting now towards the end of the 19th century, start of the 20th century. And by this point, you know, despite so many blind eyes being turned to this industry and to many other industries as well, there were growing pressures to start shutting down these Mm. kinds of places. And towns that had once been on the borders of sort of civilization you know where these places had sprung up because they were mainly catering to single working men or traveling men or whatever yeah. they were starting to become cities where families were moving in mm-hmm. and churches were shooting up and yeah. you know it's kind of becoming increasingly difficult to stay on the good side of the law because the law was being pressured by this sort of new way of new wave of puritanism essentially mm-hmm. and at the same time a new story about sex work was beginning to sort of make it big in the papers and beginning to sort of become this kind of dominant narrative around sex work that played into this new idea of social reform. And this was a story or this was sort of what was known as the story of the white slave. Now... Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. This is a really interesting and complicated sort of part Uh to the whole sex work story (laughs) yes I laugh nervously (laughs) you laugh nervously as we delve into a terribly problematic idea (laughs) yes yeah let's do it let's delve into this problematic idea now part of the push towards sort of spiritual and social reform away from the lawlessness and indulgences of the 1800s was this idea that White women working in the sex trade Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. could only have ended up in the sex trade because they were stolen away and morally Mm -hmm. degraded into Mm -hmm. it. Because, of course, you know, there was this notion of fallen women taking refuge in the sex trade, which, of course, was true of many people. But it also was at odds with and undermined the fact that many sex workers were businesswomen. They had found themselves their only means available to them of making a living outside of marriage yeah. and they were there with actual autonomy, right?
0: Yeah, and it also, of course, plays into the idea of white inherent
1: goodness. Precisely, and yeah. non-white and savagery. That's right. So it's kind of really this idea, of course, that You've got to worry about this white slave trade because it's it's this terribly awful thing. But of course, mm. people of color it, it implies that there's this these terribly drenched in racist notions that yeah. you know people of color being sort of lesser than white women yep. would more readily go into this kind of work because they yeah were, because
0: it's closer to their base nature. yeah
1: they're baser human beings and they're yeah. they're essentially more sinful and more lustful anyway. Mm. Because, Ugh. you know, white women wouldn't possibly choose to do something Never. so lowly. Can you imagine? Oh, it's just the whole thing is just outrageously it, disgusting. It is. It's outrageous. But this was sort of like a front page narrative that was really being spun mm. about sex work. And, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. There's certainly, we know, of course, that women throughout history have been taken by force into the sex trade. Well, well, we know, we, and we yeah. know that yeah, continues yeah, yeah. today. Of mm-hmm. course we do. But for Blair, this kind of became her major crusade and the major sort of driving idea behind her wanting to write her autobiography was because she was really pushing her back against what she called the myth of the white slave. She was <gasps> wow. like, this no. is not <laughs> a real thing. This is, she was like, this is just a made up part of this whole idea of social reform. Yeah,
0: because you don't want to accept that your daughters are going off and experiencing this kind of sexual autonomy and (laughs) agency and you would rather blame these incredibly racist ideas for tricking or seducing your or fucking forcing your girls into this thing.
1: Yeah, and the idea, you know, and sex work had been difficult for her, of course it had, but she she wanted to show in her narrative that it Mm -hmm. wasn't always this narrative of victimhood, you know. Because
0: that's the other thing that comes along with these stories as well. It's the idea of the fallen woman being Mm -hmm. the victim Mm -hmm. of something. Yeah, yeah. The poor girl who ended up in prostitution because she couldn't feed her family. Oh, look what she's had to do. Turn to the ends that she's had to go to instead yeah. of like, actually, this is a viable trade and it's yeah. a job. Yeah. And she's a good
1: businesswoman. And as a job, it's also like a job that gives me so much autonomy outside of marriage. Like, yeah. And this was sort of the key sort of thing. And in her book, she says, And I quote, she says, I saw them all, the lost sisterhood of the nations. I met them in Europe and in the Orient, in Canada and in Mexico. I met more American women than those of any other nation, for they were in every city and every land that I visited. I met the public prostitute, the clandestine prostitute, the occasional prostitute. I met the trusting girl who had been betrayed and the unfaithful wife. I met the college woman and the illiterate child of the slums. I met the deserted wife and the wife of the profligate the girl from the sheltered home and the girl who had been allowed to run wild, the girl who had sold her honour for bread, the girl who had sold it for luxury and fine clothes. I met the girl who should have been a nun and those others who were predestined by ancient conditions for the life of a harlot. But the one girl I never met in all those years and in all those cities and the countries that I visited was the pure girl who had been trapped and violated and sold into slavery and held a prisoner unable to effect her escape the so-called white slave. Mm. Now, of course, that is yeah, true. that's complex. That's complex <laughs> because that may yeah. well be true and perhaps she yeah. never did in her own exactly. class it doesn't and mean in that her, they didn't her own exist. station. Because, of course, we've already established the fact that
0: she belongs to a very privileged group that's right. of sex yeah. workers and yeah. she's actually probably unlikely to run into the kind of who have been taken by force but certainly yeah. they did exist
1: yeah that's correct so this is kind of the two-sided part of her narrative of her autobiography mm. is that she wants to sort of rally against this notion of victimhood this notion of the white slave but of course that is not to say that that didn't actually you know yeah. that there genuinely isn't uh, but the thing is as well is that the girls who were in that situation probably didn't look like her precisely well that's you exactly know, right she yeah like we were saying she may never have encountered them but that doesn't mean yeah. they never existed
0: yeah because they were usually women of color immigrants
1: exactly but, yeah et cetera. yeah yeah, And as we've known, as we've you know already seen from the very start of her story and from sex work at the time, you know, even though the classes might mix, very much in a racial sense mm. there was a segregation mm. in sex work. And if you did step outside of your racial bounds in sex work, then that was seen to be out of the norm. That was seen yeah. to be... You know, not the thing to be done. So for her, this kind of myth of the white slave became this idea that she wanted to really rally against and to write about. But the pressures of this social reform began to weigh really heavily on her. And like her father before her, she turned to mm. the drink. And this was because there were a lot of, you know, sort of pressures around her work now because the law was cracking down. And, of course, this is the other thing, though, about this idea of the white slave is that this did lead to a lot of law enforcers, you know, like supposedly shutting down the trafficking But really what they did was they just picked on women and shut down women who were working out of their own businesses because, to be Uh honest, those were the people that they found, those were the only people that they could find who were actually running those businesses.
0: This continues to be a huge problem with legislation that is heavy-handed under the guise of shutting down sex trafficking and sex slavery but actually what it's doing instead of focusing attention on that issue as it should it instead actually just disrupts the livelihood of women who are (laughs) just sex workers making a living and it makes things more dangerous for them it makes things more difficult for them it puts them much higher at risk and at the same time they're actually not really doing very much about the very big very serious issue of sex trafficking
1: yeah, because the actual focus of what they're doing, I mean, why, if you can actually legitimately find it easy enough to shut down the small time players who are these women, mm. you spend your time doing that because that bigger yeah. thing is much harder. Yeah. And how can you do and it? And then you get your pat
0: on the back. Good job, everybody. We've yeah. saved all of these women from yeah. this horrible life which actually, no, you haven't. You've actually just taken away their livelihood and and haven't done the work to find the people who actually
1: need you. Yeah. See, this is the thing, right? And obviously talking about any kind of sex work in any kind of – Way is incredibly complicated mm-hmm. because, as we said at the outset of the show, and as I want to reiterate, there is no one story of sex yep. work. It obviously, it clearly is incredibly different and varied yep. for everyone yep. in many places of the world, in many parts of history. There's no one narrative, and Blair's narrative is just a version of a narrative. It's Mm -hmm. her story, but that doesn't make it everybody's story. But what it does mean is that these pressures essentially – you know, they really came down hard on her and she took up a dependence on alcohol and this sort of steadily worsened. And she was in contact again with Paul and he tried very hard to help her kick the habit and even took her travelling around for a while to see if that might sort of change things for her. Mm. But when she returned from sort of her travels with Paul, she decided that really it was probably best if she just left the brothel life behind her because it was all becoming too much. And so at the age of 34, she handed over the reins to another woman who had worked with her for a long time. And she tells us then that she goes on to walk the world alone. And that's pretty much the end of her story, right? Whoa. (laughs) We don't know how or when she died or what she did after this because this is where she ends her autobiography because she was writing her autobiography. Mm. We assume she was still alive as she wrote yeah, it. Yeah, when she like, published it. it or not to. necessarily not, published it. Not necessarily, yeah, 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 when she wrote it, certainly. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. But it includes sort of after this kind of summary of just heading off then to walk the world alone after abandoning the brothel life, she includes this very sort of strong afterward that gives us, again, her thoughts on sort of the world of the Scarlet Woman and society's hypocrisies about sex work. And, of course, for 1919 when this was published, it was incredibly progressive. Mm. I mean, she herself obviously was a very flawed human being, but (laughs) so many of the ideas in this Mm. autobiography are Mm. so incredibly advanced around sex work. Yeah, sounds like it. And particular narratives of sex work. But, you know, because we can't verify the story, it's it's really difficult to say whether or not and how much of this is true. So when was it actually published? It was published in 1919. See, there you go. So, like, it's
0: not one of these stories that has been published decades later with perhaps the politics of a later frame of mind. Not that I can imagine something like this being published for, you know, another hundred years with the kind of politics that it, Seems to contain, or at least 50 years with the politics that it contains. But um, so it's still of its time in that sense. We just don't know necessarily what kind of embellishments exist, who she might have really been, if it's all 100% true. I mean, it could very well all be just as it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's how it's been taken over the decades. This is how it has been received and reviewed as a genuine autobiography as a genuine Mm. story of this genuine woman i simply throw that sort of idea in there because i suppose i think it's something that we need to keep in the back of our minds that if we Mm -hmm. can't sort of corroborate all of these stories and all of this information then it's very difficult to (laughs) say without a shadow of the doubt that it's all entirely true, but it certainly does reflect a lot of the other documented sort of ideas around what sex work was like at the time and mm-hmm. a lot of what was recorded elsewhere because most of what was recorded about sex work was recorded by other people writing yeah. about sex workers, right? Yeah, and usually probably from that binary sort of perspective precisely. Of yeah. women
0: being scarlet women or being victims of something
1: yeah Yeah. Mm. and that's what makes this document whether or not you want to sort of cast aspersions on the the authenticity of it that is what makes this document such an interesting document and this is what makes Blair's story such an important one to consider Mm. I think is because it is that first-person yep. approach. And I think that the vehemency with which she stands up as nobody's victim essentially yep. Yep. really does speak to life experience. It really does speak mm. to her mm. wanting to frame her own story and frame her own life and not have it framed by anybody else. Yeah, And so that's why I think... That Blair story is a particularly interesting one to think about. In that kind of milieu of politics, of race, of class, all of that plays through her story.
0: What a fascinating one to kind of pluck as well because I feel like this is one of those stories that, I mean, we like to focus on, we obviously cover every now and then women who are quite famous, but also to find these little stories, these stories Mm. that are a voice amongst The world, and these are these stories that represent this person and maybe reflect something a little bit bigger than that at the same time. Yeah. What a fascinating little discovery here. Yeah.
1: And yeah, and I found her autobiography while I was researching other sort of madams and sex workers from the time. And all of those madams and sex workers, and pretty much anyone else from this period of history. All the documents about them are written by other people, and so that's kind of interesting as well, isn't it? That you know, I'd be willing to believe documents written by other people about someone, but then when there's a document that's written by someone first person, I'm like, (laughs) Yeah, see, I don't know. Can we trust it?
0: I feel a little bit well, the opposite in a sense where if it's only written by one other person, then I'm like, Yeah, I don't actually think that I'd. I don't know what to think about this, but if mm. it depends on who that person is, who has the authority, whose voice is it? When is it written from? What's the perspective? Yeah. Or does what? What evidence does it corroborate? I
1: mean, who? Wh- how many voices are there? All saying the same thing? Yeah, as that's those? right. Yeah, yeah, and also, you know, this as we've said so many times, whose voices in history do we trust? Like. Yeah. And this is yep. the thing that we come back to time and time again with so many of the stories that we look at. I mean, history is not a fixed thing. Absolutely not. It's so strange to think that history is not a fixed thing. History is just a collection of narratives. It is. And those can it change.
0: It's a collection of narratives and we ha- we have some artifacts yeah. that prove that history was there. We yeah, know that's that people right. existed because we have artifacts but yeah. other than that, everything else is just yep. a story that we lay on to those artifacts. Yeah.
1: And because there aren't artifacts to go with Blair, yeah. then there's automatically there's this suspicion that I have.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And perhaps actually maybe I'm less inclined to be suspicious because it's anonymous, actually.
1: Because yeah, it I think doesn't that have a name true. on it.
0: I don't think that this person would have anything to hide or need to embellish because why would they? It's an anonymous story. It's clearly not the type of thing that's been written with the intention of being salacious because that's a very different kind of sex work mm. memoir as we've seen yeah. in other examples. But yeah. this seems like, like you said, it does have that clear message and this sort of activist tone at the end of it. So I mm. would be inclined mm-hmm. to think, I have more reason to trust than to distrust this particular
1: story. Because you would think that if it was going to be a hoax biography, then it would possibly be more in the vein of wanting to denounce the sort Mm. of the vice of sex work.
0: Yeah. Or just turn up the sexy factor and become basically erotica. She doesn't do that. Mm. It's not
1: erotica. It's not Mm. erotica. As I said, there are so many points where she's so vague and most of those points are around the erotica itself. We don't get any of that. So that was the uh, story for this week. It's a long one, so we should wrap it up. Well, thank you for taking us to that. That was fascinating. And I think
0: that, well, let's just say to end this episode that sex work is work. Absolutely. We acknowledge that hers is one voice amongst
1: Mm. many Mm -hmm. many 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 many.
0: and uh leave it at that so next time we'll be going somewhere a little bit different probably not terribly terribly different because you know we do have our favorites but we shall see when we get there in two weeks time
1: yeah and until then of course you can catch up on all of our past episodes if you want to listen to some more episodes that are in this vein then and, and you haven't listened to the Leanne de pushy episode as yet that might be a place you want to head to next absolutely so that's also an interesting one and we
0: also have a brand new patreon episode up and live it is well you took us through quite a harrowing story of another little mysterious first person voice that you plucked from history absolutely fascinating dive into the life of of a young coal miner. So I'm all about like
1: Patreon. First person voices at the moment. I'm all about own stories. Yeah. All about those at the moment. Yeah, and actually, and that Patreon episode also touches a little bit on those ideas around social reform of particular jobs mm-hmm. that put people out of business in a lot of yeah. ways. There's an interesting <laughs> yeah. overlap there. And of course, if you'd like to get yourself some Deviant Women merchandise then you can visit our merchandising store on Etsy. (laughs) And if you can't afford to support us financially,
0: that's okay, we understand. But you can leave us a five-star review on your podcasting app of choice.
1: And of course, tell all your friends about us. Tell them, tell them, go and do it right now. And we thank you very much for being with us for another episode. And until we see you next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. And that's it. See you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.